Good morning, everyone. Good morning. How nice it is to see you all on this beautiful Sunday morning. Uh, this is uh, the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. So uh, we just praise the Lord. I'm so thankful that we can be together. Uh, we can't all be here, of course, because of the coronavirus, but uh, that doesn't stop our hearts from worshiping this great and glorious God that we serve. And so whether we're worshiping here or worshiping at home, uh, we just praise the Lord. And so uh, we're going to be continuing our study in the book of Romans this morning. That last song that we sang reminded me of uh, the end of uh, Romans chapter 8, uh, what can separate us from the love of God? And obviously the answer is nothing, but we're not there yet. Another, another month or so, we might get to the end of Romans <laughs> chapter 8. Uh, we're in no hurry to get there because this is the, the best stuff there is in, in the, all of Romans. And so uh, this week we're going to be looking at the indwelling Holy Spirit, Romans chapter 8, verses 9 to 11. So uh, let's ask the Lord for help before we begin. Uh, Lord God, uh, we're into the really good stuff, uh, talking about the indwelling Holy Spirit, how he indwells each and every one of us, Lord. Uh, God, God himself, uh, in the form of the Holy Spirit living inside of us, Lord, this is a difficult concept to understand. I think that as Christians, we we take it for granted, uh, or, or perhaps we haven't thought deeply about what this means, that God himself uh, lives inside of us. So help us with this, Lord, and uh, may the fact that God living inside of us is a fact, may that change the reality of how we live. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Help us, we, we pray. Amen. Well, uh, many of you know that buying a new house is very expensive. Uh, when you're going to buy a house, it's going to cost you thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And for many of us, it's the largest purchase that we will ever make. And if it's our first house, and if we don't really have a whole lot of money, well, uh, it might be a real fixer-upper, uh, but it's ours. It's our house. We spent our money on it, and we love this house. Uh, and so when we buy a house, we move into it. Uh, and we do all the things that we'd like to do that we can afford to do to make the house really nice. We want to treat it with tender love and care. We want to uh, make the repairs and renovations that are necessary. We want to decorate it uh, to make it just the way we like it. And we maintain it and we protect this house because it's our house. Now, when God bought us, it was a very expensive purchase. It cost him the blood of his son to purchase this house that he now dwells in. And most of us were real fixer-uppers when he moved in, if we're honest. Uh, so, but God loves us. And after he bought us, well, uh, then he began to do his work. He wanted to move in, but he has to make some renovations, some repairs uh, to make it the way he wants it. And so God, in the form of the Holy Spirit, moves into this house, uh, which we think of as our bodies, but it becomes his dwelling place. He lives here among us. And for some of us, he's been living inside of us for decades, and yet still the work is not done. Uh, he's still in the process of making this house the way he wants it, doing renovations, repairs, touch-ups where needed. Uh, and he's going to continue to do that until he calls us home. Uh, he's cleaning up ugly sin and replacing it with his beautiful holiness. And in the meantime, uh, God dwelling inside of us is protecting us from the power of sin, uh, the power of Satan, the power of the world that wants to draw us away from God. And this is true of any one of us who has been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. 
and that's because of faith in Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to be talking about the fact that the Holy Spirit indwells us. He indwells our bodies. And for those whose bodies he indwells, he makes two promises that we'll be looking at today as well to every believer that he indwells. So uh, let's talk first about the indwelling spirit. Uh, looking at verse 9, uh, we see this. However, you are not in the flesh by the Holy Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So you remember last week, we were talking about the contrast of the mind that is set on the Spirit versus the mind that is spent, uh, set on the flesh. Uh, and the, 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 the mind set on the Spirit desires the things of the Spirit. And the mind set on the flesh desires sinful and selfish pleasures. And so uh, we had that contrast last week. And if you'll remember, Paul was talking in the, in the third person plural. Uh, if you look at uh, verses 5 to 8, he would say uh, words like those, speaking generally about those people who are in the flesh, who are selfish, sinful, hostile to God. Uh, they cannot please God, and their future is death, third person plural. And the same thing when he was talking about the people who are in the spirit. He said, on the other hand, those with their minds set on the spirit, well, they have life and they have peace. But now in verse 9, a change occurs. There, there's this shift from talking generally uh, to the third person plural, hypothetically those and they, to talking about you, you who have the spirit. Uh, this is who he's talking to in this passage now. It's much more personal language as he wants to assure and reassure his readers that if indeed the spirit of Christ dwells in them, well, they have life and peace. And Paul makes it clear that there are only two options. You either are in the spirit or you are in the flesh. You are either unsaved or you are saved. You either have the Holy Spirit living in you or you don't. And so uh, for Paul's readers, uh, the question is, well, do they have the Holy Spirit living inside of them? And so uh, we ask as we look at this verse, uh, because he's talking about the fact that, that the Holy Spirit actually indwells every single believer. So we would ask a few questions of this verse. And the first one is, well, how do we know? How do we know that we are saved? And it's simple. Every believer has the Holy Spirit living inside of us, but sometimes it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell if you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you because you don't really feel him uh, so much. But every believer has the Holy Spirit living inside of us. So uh, the, the thing is, there are no exceptions. If you have, if you, if you believe, then you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And so if you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, that he paid the penalty that you owe for the sins that you have committed, then you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. So the test is really simple. Do you believe that? Do you believe what I just said? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose from the dead, that he paid the penalty for your sins, that he rose from the dead, and that because he rose, he will raise us from the dead too? That's the test. Do you believe that? No one else can tell you if you are saved. That's a personal question. Even Paul says, if you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. He doesn't know. He's writing to these people. He's saying, if you, have the, if you believe, you have the Holy Spirit. But Paul doesn't know. And nobody can tell you if you're saved. Nobody can tell me if I'm saved. Uh, you have to answer the question, do you believe? And if you do, then you have nothing to worry about. Because the Holy Spirit does live inside of you. And that guarantees your salvation. 
Remember, Paul had been talking about being dead to sin and being dead to the law, all the way dating back to chapter 6. We've been talking about this for a couple of months now. And so it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's the indwelling Holy Spirit in the life of the believer that allows him to be dead to sin and dead to the law and to live a life that is pleasing to God, to put to death the deeds of the flesh. The Holy Spirit can do this when he indwells our uh, bodies. And so uh, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit since the beginning of chapter 6, but we really haven't spent a whole lot of time talking about who he is. So I want to take a minute just to talk about the Holy Spirit uh, in this, uh, as, as we come across this passage and talk about the indwelling spirit. Now, I'm sure most of you have heard it's a fairly common heresy to call uh, the Holy Spirit a, a force or an it. All right, we, we hear that from time to time, uh, like uh, he's impersonal. But the, the scriptures are clear that, this, that the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. Uh, but he's the third member of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And he has existed for all eternity with God the Father and with God the Son. I remember Genesis, early as Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, uh, the spirit of, of the God hovered over the water. So he was there at creation. Uh, his he's, uh, presence was with many of the Old Testament prophets. Uh, we read about that as we go through the Old Testament. In John chapter 14, uh, Jesus talked about how he would send them another helper, the Holy Spirit, who would cause them to remember all the things that he said and would guide them into all truth. In Acts chapter 2, this promised Holy Spirit came on all believers at Pentecost. And 1 Corinthians 6.19 says that your body is a holy temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. So think about that. Think about how the Holy Spirit is portrayed uh, throughout the scriptures. He has the characteristics and he has the attributes of a person, not a force, not an it, but, but of God and of a person at the same time. I'll just give you a few examples. He convicts the world of sin, John chapter 16, 8. He teaches us all things, John 14, 26. He intercedes on our behalf, Romans 8, 26. He regenerates us, uh, John 3, 6. He can be lied to, Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Uh, he can be grieved, Ephesians 4.30. Uh, he inspired the authors to write the scriptures, uh, 2 Peter 1.21. And he gives spiritual gifts, uh, 1 Corinthians 12. So uh, I could go on and on, but the point that I want you to see here is that the Holy Spirit is God. He is the third person of the Trinity. And if you are, are a believer, you have God living inside of you. Does that just take your breath away? Do we take that for granted sometimes that God is living inside of us? I mean, that is an absolutely staggering truth for the Christian. So just reflect on that for a minute. The, the concept of God as, you know, majestic creator of the universe is fairly common to most religions, right? Most religions have some God who created, uh, but, you know, he walked away and now he stands apart from his creation. He's an arbitrary, capricious God. He meets out judgment according to his whims. Uh, it's like a kid uh, with an ant farm who, you know, feels like playing with it. He plays with it one day. If he doesn't feel like playing with it, he just ignores it. The ants die, whatever. Uh, it depends on the kid's mood, right? It depends on his whims. 
And God is portrayed like that in other religions. But where Christianity stands apart from the other religions of the world is that the same majestic creator of the entire universe is also a personal and intimate God who loves us so much, who wants to have a relationship with us, and he wants to dwell inside of us. That is a totally different God than the rest of the world believes in. It's God's intimacy and his love that caused him to want to have this relationship with us, that caused him to create us in the first place, to have this love relationship with us, to, to cause Jesus to come and die on a cross so that we could be reconciled to him. God loves us so much that he wants to live inside of us, to, to dwell inside of these imperfect bodies of ours. And that's what he does when we receive Jesus as our Savior. He moves in, he rearranges his, the, the furniture, he makes himself at home, and he calls this body his home. And if you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose from the dead, then he indwells you too. Jesus did not send a force. He did not send an it. He sent a person. He sent the third person, this Holy Spirit, to live inside of us. He's the living God. That's how we're saved. You believe the gospel, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us, and we are saved. But here's another common question that we hear. Uh, what if I don't feel saved? What if I don't feel the Holy Spirit living inside of me? Uh, I've been asked this question more than once. Uh, let me say it this way. Uh, our salvation and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is not a feeling. It is a fact. It is a promise that God makes, and we can take God's promises to the bank. It doesn't matter whether you feel the Holy Spirit living inside of you. If you have trusted in Jesus as your Savior, then you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. It's a done deal, whether you feel him or not. You know, most of us, when we're saved, we don't feel like this rush, like standing under a waterfall of this water, the Holy Spirit falling down on us and filling us and coursing through our veins like a, a, a jolt of electricity. It's not like that. Uh, we feel different somehow. We feel lighter. We feel happier. Our burdens have been released, but we don't have this pulsing sensation all the time that the Holy Spirit of God is living inside of us. That's not what it's like. Uh, and the longer we, we walk in the Christian faith, we realize that. Sometimes uh, you know, we expect that we're always going to feel the presence of God, and sometimes we do and sometimes we don't. But the fact of the matter is, is that it doesn't depend on whether we feel him or not. He lives in us and he never leaves us, even though we don't feel it all the time. But remember that God never promised that we would feel saved. He said that if we believe in his son, we are saved. And so it's a fact. It's not a feeling. And a lot of people are governed by their feelings. They're governed by their emotions. And emotions and feelings are so inherently unreliable that they cannot be trusted. They fluctuate based on our moods. They, they fluctuate uh, based on whether uh, somebody said something mean or nasty to us and now has put us in a bad mood. Uh, they can change based on our finances or on our, our job security or, you know, worry about how we're going to make next month's rent or mortgage payment. Uh, they can 
Uh, our feelings can be good or bad based on uh, our appearance. You know, if we feel like we look good or we don't look good in these clothes or we look bad in our clothes, we can, we can change our feelings based on whether we have a date to the homecoming dance. All of these things affect our feelings. They're so unreliable. They're so based on what's happening in our lives at this particular moment. And that's why they're so unreliable. And the fact is, our feelings are always affected by the fact that we are children of Adam with a sin nature and everything that we feel is felt through this tainted and corrupted sin nature that we possess. And so the bottom line is this, we just can't trust our feelings, they're not reliable. We are far better off taking God at his word. Jesus promised that he would go and that he would send another helper the Holy Spirit, to those who believe. And after Jesus died on the cross, was raised from the dead, ascended to the Father, he did send the Holy Spirit to the believers at Pentecost first, and he comes to all believers. It's a promise from God, which is far more reliable than our fickle feelings. So, do you believe that you are a sinner in need of a Savior? Have you received Jesus as your Savior, that he paid the penalty for your sins on the cross? If you do, you have the Holy Spirit, whether you feel him or not. So don't worry about whether you can feel him. Just trust him and take God's promises to the bank. And now a third question. When did I receive this Holy Spirit? Well, you received him the moment you believed. Now, there is a common teaching among some denominations that, that say that there is a, uh, what they call a second blessing, so that you can actually be saved and yet not receive the Holy Spirit until some later date when you have some experience or second blessing, and then you receive the Holy Spirit. And so I would just argue that from this verse, that is impossible. Uh, that cannot be true because uh, this verse says that if you, have, uh, if you have the Spirit of Christ, he dwells in you. Uh, so if a second blessing was needed, some subsequent event to believing or to faith to receive the Holy Spirit, that would mean that there are two categories of Christians, some who have the Holy Spirit and others who don't have the Holy Spirit. Now, imagine that you are a true believer and yet you are led to believe that you don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you because you haven't had this second blessing. You would go through your whole life wondering, am I saved because you don't recall having this second blessing come upon you and this flood uh, of the Holy Spirit? Uh, that is not what Christianity is. Christianity is faith and receiving of the Holy Spirit. That happens simultaneously. Anything else would create such insecurity, we would never have assurance of salvation if we had to rely on our feelings or some second experience. Every believer in Christ has the Holy Spirit. We don't have to wait for a second blessing. Now, that's not to say that we can't be filled multiple times with the Holy Spirit. That's different than being baptized in the Holy Spirit. That happens once. Baptism of the Holy Spirit happens once at belief. Being filled with the Holy Spirit means living a life that's characterized by a walking in faith, uh, being led by the Holy Spirit. Uh, sometimes you're filled with the Holy Spirit for some specific task that God has given you to do. So there's nothing wrong with saying you can be filled multiple times, but there is something wrong with saying that you can be, that you can believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior and not have the Holy Spirit. Uh, you can't be a believer and not have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And when I think about 
the Holy Spirit living inside of me, I have two reactions. One, of course, is that I am elated uh, that God has chosen to take up residence inside of me, that he would love me enough to do that. So elated on the one hand, and on the other hand, I feel like I am so unworthy to have God live inside of me. I am saved, but I am a sinner, and I continue to sin. And yet, God chooses to live inside of me. And I think about that. I think, how can a pure, holy, and perfect God want to live in this body of sin? It would be like if you and I had to spend a night in some rat and roach-infested motel. It's like, ah, disgusting. How can I live in this thing even for a night? And, and that's, God loves us enough to do that, but he loves us enough to, to want us to change, to keep working on us. And so the fact that God lives inside of us makes me want to live a holy life, even though I'm incapable of living a perfectly holy life. But God is doing his renovations. He's doing his work. He's making his home the way he likes it as he continues to train me to be obedient to the word. And so I know I'll never be perfect, but his presence inside of me makes me want to please him and be obedient to his will. And if you're a believer with the Holy Spirit living inside of you, uh, your experience should be the same. It's the natural consequence of the fact that God is living inside of you, turning you away from the sin that you used to turn to because it pleased you and wanting to please him instead. So he's changing us from fixer-uppers into his holy house. And we can't help but be affected by his awesome presence. Are Christians better people to start with? Or are, we, uh, are we so close to perfection that God says, well, that's a really nice house. I'll move into that house. It just needs a couple of touch-ups. No, that's not what it's like at all. Uh, God chooses us just because God chooses us, and he loves us, and he moves in, and it's the presence of his Holy Spirit in us that makes the difference. God has come to live inside the heart of every believer, and that's what makes Christians distinct from the world. God lives in us. So that's the fact. The indwelling Holy Spirit lives inside every believer. And now, there are two amazing promises that follow that fact. Uh, verse 8, 10. The spirit of every believer is alive. Uh, if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Now, obviously, Paul's readers were not dead physically, right? They were alive. They were listening to this uh, letter of Paul to the Romans being read, or they were reading it themselves. Uh, when Paul said the body is dead because of sin, he meant that the body is mortal. The body is headed toward death because of sin, because death is the consequence of sin. But even though our bodies are subject to death and subject to decay, well, our spirit is still alive because of righteousness. And this shows the power of Jesus Christ. The power of Christ in us is so strong that it can overcome the law of sin and death. What is the law of sin and death? It's the law that because we have violated God's laws, God's standards, uh, we are headed for death and we are worthy and deserving of condemnation. But the law of the Spirit of Christ means life and it is powerful enough to overcome the law of sin and death. Well, how can it do that? because of righteousness. That's what we see in this verse. Whose righteousness? 
Well, certainly not ours, right? We have no inherent righteousness of our own. It's because of Jesus Christ's righteousness, his perfect holy life that he lived and that God applies to us when we receive him as our savior. God declares us righteous, even though we are not righteous in ourselves. And Jesus's righteousness in us, the fact that God has applied Jesus's righteousness to us, guarantees that our spirits will live even though our bodies will die. Now think about how reassuring that is. Unless the Lord returns first, we are all going to die. It's encouraging for you this morning. Well, the encouragement is that we know where we're going, and so we don't have to worry about physical death. It's a blessing to know that God gave us the Holy Spirit as a deposit which guarantees our salvation. It's a down payment, a deposit. Think about what that means. When, when we're going to buy a house, we put 10 or 20% down, whatever the bank requires, as a deposit, and that's our promise that we will pay the balance due at closing. And so we are invested in that house at, in that, at that point. When we put our money down, we are invested in it. And if we breach the contract, if we default on the loan, if we fail to make the payments, well, we're going to lose the house and we're going to lose the deposit with it. Well, the Holy Spirit is God's deposit in our lives. It's his promise that he will complete the contract, that he will finish the, the transaction that he has promised of saving our souls, even though our bodies will die. And so that's the most reassuring news that there is. God does not breach contracts. He does not default on loans. He is able to complete the deal that he has made. And so he has deposited his Holy Spirit in us, and we can rest assured that he will complete the transaction. And God's Holy Spirit is his promise to us that we have eternal life, and we have it today. Our spirits are alive today, and they will remain alive. Even though our bodies will die, our spirits remain alive, and will be with him forever and ever. But that's not all. That's only the first promise, that our spirits will be alive. Uh, the second promise is that those who have the Holy Spirit, God will raise their bodies as well. Uh, verse 11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So if the first promise isn't staggering enough that, that uh, your, your spirit will live even though your body will die, uh, look at this one, a promise to give life to our mortal bodies too. Now, I know what you're all saying. Uh, I don't want this mortal body. I have no interest in this body any longer. Uh, I understand. We, we don't always wake up feeling like we'd like to, like we were 25 or, or 20 anymore. Uh, we're older. We have creaks. We have pains, uh, things that, that uh, bother us. Uh, and we may not look like we want to look, and uh, we may not uh, look like we looked when we were 18 years old, but that's okay. Uh, God has promised to redeem these bodies. Uh, and so when he redeems these bodies, they're going to be drastically different than what they look like now. We will receive glorified bodies. And uh, I have to be honest with you, I can't tell you exactly what that means, but we know from 1 Corinthians 15, 42, that these bodies that we currently inhabit are perishable. But we also know that Paul says that in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, they will be changed and then our bodies will be raised imperishable, not subject to decay or death ever again. Remember back in Romans uh, 6, 5, Paul said that we will be raised in the likeness of Jesus's resurrection. 
Now, after Jesus' resurrection, he was able to walk through walls. We saw that in John chapter 20. He was able to transport himself instantly from one place to another. We saw that uh, talking to the disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24. So it's exciting to think about what our resurrection bodies may be able to do. Uh, Think about your favorite Avengers superhero. Uh, Your body may be able to do some of those things after we are raised again to glorified bodies. And this is the power of God in us. Uh, He raised Jesus from the dead, and that same power will raise us from the dead too. You know, I used to be pretty dead set that when I died, I wanted to be buried. I wanted a a place uh, where you could go and you could say, there lies Bob. And there's a headstone that says nice things about me. And, uh, you know, my descendants could come and all visit me. And now I realize, you know, that's not so important anymore. Uh, Probably um, in two generations, my descendants will have no idea where I'm buried. You know how grandchildren and great-grandchildren are. They won't even know. And the things that are written nice about me will probably fade over time. Uh, So it's really not that important to me anymore. uh, Because if God can make the universe out of absolutely nothing, well, certainly he can restore my body no matter what state it happens to be in. So whether I'm buried, whether I'm cremated, whether I'm lost at sea, whatever happens to my body, uh, God can restore that. And you may have uh, strong, passionate feelings about being buried, and uh, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not criticizing being buried or, or suggesting anything to you. My point is simply that no matter what God or what, what condition our bodies are in, God can raise them up and restore them again. And so he's able to fulfill his promises. And he promises that he will raise our mortal bodies again, no matter what state they are in. And when he returns, that is what will happen. So our God is an awesome, powerful, loving God. Let's just recap where we've been. All believers have the Holy Spirit living inside them. And if you believe the gospel that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead, well, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And then there are two promises that God makes to everybody whom he indwells. And that is that though our bodies are dead to sin, our spirit lives. Today, we have eternal life. And the second blessing is that we will, we will receive these new glorified bodies, even though the body is dead because of sin. We'll get these glorified bodies. They'll be reunited with our spirit to live with him forever. And so to say it another way, the Holy Spirit's presence regenerates the human spirit, and the Holy Spirit's presence will one day regenerate the believer's mortal body as well. And I want you to notice, again, the full Trinitarian work that is involved in this process. We talked about this last week. I just want you to see it again. As you gaze over these three verses, we see the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, and Christ in you, all used synonymously in this passage. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are all divine, and they're all part of the eternal Godhead. They share the same essence, but they have different functions as they serve as their part in the Godhead. And so what we see in verse 11 is that it's the power of God by the work of the Son through the indwelling Holy Spirit that will raise our mortal bodies to live with him forever. Now, if anybody says to you at any point in time, well, you can't say that there's such a thing as the Trinity because the Bible never uses the word Trinity Well, you can take them to this passage and show them all three members of the Trinity working together, the same in their essence, yet distinct in their functions to bring us to salvation. Now, these are some deep and rich 
truths in this passage and incredible promises that God makes to us. So let's ask two questions by way of application. Uh, Has the Holy Spirit moved in? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose from the dead? If you do, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. He's God's deposit the purchase, for the purchase of the salvation of your soul. Philippians 1.6 says that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And that's a promise from God. So if you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, your salvation is secure because of Jesus' work on the cross. But if you have not received the Holy Spirit, if you're waiting for something uh, to make a decision, well, you do not have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And if you don't make a decision for Christ, you're headed for eternity apart from him in hell. And so he has this great love for us. He wants us to come to him, to, to, to turn our lives over to him. And, and I suppose when you think about it, that there are some people who are maybe closer to others, to salvation, if that's something that we can say. Uh, they seem to be considering accepting Jesus as their savior, while others are openly hostile to the gospel. But I don't really believe in a person being closer to being saved. It's like being almost pregnant, right? You either are or you're not. You're either saved or you aren't. And we could all die in the next five minutes. And if you're almost saved when you die five minutes from now, well, that's the same as not being saved. So you have to ask yourself the question, do you believe? Are you saved? Has the Holy Spirit moved in? Well, if he has, how are the renovations going? He's doing a work, isn't he? Sometimes he has to tear out the kitchen. Sometimes he has to knock down a whole bunch of walls. Uh, Sometimes he has to gut the whole house. Uh, That is sometimes what happens, depending on where we are when we are saved. But when the Holy Spirit moves into our house, he is constantly working, doing renovations to this house. So how are the renovations going? Do you see the work that he's doing? Do you see him uh, making major and minor renovations in your life? Do you see the changes that only could be made by the Holy Spirit because you never would have made them in your own power? Well, that's a sure sign that you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you and that he is completing the good work that he began. So can you point to the changes in your own life? Can you, can you point back in your life and say, oh yeah, I, I see this that the Holy Spirit did, and boy, he, he sure changed that attitude in me. Uh, these things ought to give us comfort in knowing that he's there inside of us doing the work that can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if you are able to point back at those things, well, then it's apparent, it's evident that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And you can rest in peace knowing that he's there, that he loves you, that you're saved, and that he's working on you. Now, it's not that the work is ever done, right? Uh, like, our, like a house, there's always more that can be done. But, but these changes are happening over time, and you're watching these renovations occur. And he will complete the purchase uh, of the house that he has bought someday when he calls us all home. And I pray that each one of us uh, can point to evidence of the Holy Spirit living in us as God's deposit. And while we wait for him to redeem us, uh, to call us home, that we are allowing him to do the renovations needed to make us like his son. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord God, what can we say about the fact that you live inside of us? Uh, It's almost too awesome for words. Uh, Lord, we just thank you that you loved us enough uh, to create us, 
to recognize our sin problem and to, to have a plan to deal with it, Lord, uh, in Jesus Christ, who came, lived a perfect holy life, and died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins so that we would not be held accountable when we pay, place our faith in him. And Lord, when we did that, you sent us the Holy Spirit, God himself living in us. Lord, may we be more attuned to him. May we be more obedient to his, his will for our lives. And Lord, may we live lives that are pleasing to your son. We just thank you, Lord, for this awesome gift, and we praise you for it in Christ's name. Amen.